We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Final day proves exciting and historic, as League and Arsenal fans in particular witnessed something everyone thought would never happen, Arsenal winning away. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. An away victory. Um, you know, we, we have to place this in historical context. I think we'll try to do that during this pod, and just generally really sum up what it's like to watch the Arsenal win away. I'm not aware of anything else historic that happened on the day, so we'll just stay focused on that. Um... Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about from the game, which I wasn't expecting. So here's how we'll do this podcast. We will talk about the game, because this is called the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. We'll do some sort of season summary stuff, but I want to do a separate podcast dedicated to the league season. I think that makes a lot more sense. So we're not going to sum everything up in this pod, um, because as it is, we're already 50 seconds in, and I haven't even introduced the guests. So you can kind of tell how the pacing's going to go. So we have a special Patreon podcast coming out later this week called Top 4. Uh, befitting Arsenal, who did not finish in the top four. But you'll see what it's all about. There'll be some social interaction and stuff, and it should be a lot of fun. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and obviously, we'll have a lot of stuff leading into the Europa League final, season summary stuff, uh, player awards, and all that kind of stuff. So it should be, should be fun. Still plenty of hashtag content to talk about. But let's talk about the game. And before we do that, I should probably introduce the people who are going to be talking about it. The whole gang is here, so that's easy enough. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at Paws in My Pants. Hello, Paws. <laughs> Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Um, So, interesting. Tim, I'll start with you. I think there was a lot of teeth-gnashing, hand-wringing, mainly by me, about what this lineup should look like. 
uh, in the context of having a Europa League final coming up. And we did yeah. see a lot of young players. Uh, we did see, I think, a pretty good selection in terms of protecting the key players from causing themselves any problems. I really think there's only two notable inclusions in this game. One is Leno, mm. and I think the fact that Leno got this game is conclusive evidence that Czech is going to get the final, in case there was any doubt. On the other is Aubameyang, who obviously wanted to go chase after the golden boot, which mm. he wound up getting, or at least tying for. And I think there's nothing that summarizes <clears throat> his season better than the fact that he finishes as a golden boot winner and also missed a sitter that could have won it for him outright. <laughs> sort of sums yeah. up a season. But So unless you want to get into the Leno-Czech thing, as far as Aubameyang starting... Are you sympathetic to the idea of letting the player go out and try to win the golden boot, or is that a risk we shouldn't have taken? Yeah, no, I, I'm sympathetic to that idea. I, I think it's been really obvious all season that it really means something to him, um, right down to like taking the penalties, even when Lacazette's on the pitch. You know, Lacazette hasn't taken a penalty this season. Um, and so I, I think it's always is been quite true? obvious that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's not taken one for quite a long time, actually. Um, and I think there were a couple where Lacazette wasn't on the pitch anyway. But um, yeah, I, I think I, it, it's difficult to... I think it's been really obvious for a little while that he he really, really wanted this. Um, and I, I can't really explain why other than in the last month or two in particular, I think he's looked even more desperate to score goals than um, than usual. Um, usually I, I kind of think goals just happen for Aubameyang because he's, he's so good at... Um, at finding space, but the last the last couple of months or so, I've sensed that kind of um, I don't want to say desperation. I don't think it's been that bad, but that that he really wants this, and it was really obvious on the day as well. He was, you know, right at it from the very very start, um, looking for the ball constantly. And uh, yeah, I I always expected him to play because of that. I always expected that he'd say, "Let me try and a get the golden boot," and um, even. Um, even or, or just like get the 30 goals for the season. I think that's another um, kind of target um, that he had. Um, and he, well, he kind of, yeah, I, I suppose he kind of got both of them. Um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit dubious about the idea of tying for the golden boot, but um, yeah. And, and so the lineup was pretty much what I expected to be honest. Um, and I, I think my only issue was maybe when Mavropanos went off injured, I was, I was really, I was quite not surprised, but I, I didn't want Koscielny to come on because I think um, my exact Burnley, tweet was not cost exclamation point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and because you could see the way Burnley were doing their usual Ashley Barnes throwing his weight around and then whinging um, every five minutes. Yeah, they were um, really chippy. Uh, yeah, and it oh, honestly it reflects in their crowd. Like, if there's a world booing championships between Stoke and Burnley, like, honestly, like, like, if you had about, to watch that kind of football every week, you'd boo too. <laughs> it's oh, it's just, but it's it's very. They're so like um, that they remind me of like the Brexit party in UK politics. You know, like just like constantly whiny. It's just like oh. Fuck god's sake like and it's it's just like if you're gonna go and be a shithouse and everything and and you know push people around and dig your elbow in and grab shirts and all of that and by the way there were i mean i think Loughton should have been sent off for that tackle on Iwobi. i mean that, that to me is in this day and age a clear red card um and mike dean obviously just couldn't be asked with it but just ah, oh, the just the whining every two minutes so when mavropanos went down injured they started chanting 
he's going to cry in a minute, even though he's like, clearly he had like to come off <laughs> yeah yeah and clearly not because of you know any blow or anything it was it was i think it looked like his groin again which is probably not good and then when kashelny came on they they sang without a hint of irony he's going to cheat in a minute because of this goal he scored there like two and a half years ago and you hand. think <laughs> yeah. yeah and you're like one minute you're chanting they're gonna cry in a minute and then you start crying crying about about something (laughs) happened two and a half years ago and i know that's a really big divergence from your question but i had to get that in i'm glad you did because it was better than my question and i enjoyed it thoroughly (laughs) but that gives me a chance to turn it over to to paul look i don't think the issue of playing obamiang is one that we have to litigate too thoroughly because at the end of the day he didn't get hurt and it's fine i think you know Having a player be hungry to score goals and win personal accolades is fine if it's not hurting the team and also can motivate a player. And do you really want to piss Aubameyang off by saying, no, I'm not risking you, and he loses the golden boot by a goal or two, and then he's brooding? Like, I I think it's all good. He's got two strikers to keep happy this season, and he's done it pretty well. I don't have a problem with it. But, Paul, as far as Aubameyang's performance, he's just in scintillating form. And I agree with Tim. This game, by the end of the game, you could just tell everybody was looking to try to get him that goal. Um, and he should have had it. I mean, he had sitters that he missed, which sums up his season. But for me, it's more than just about how much he wanted the goal. It's the form he's in off the ball, the work he's doing to win the ball back, and then, of course, the movement. He's he's really in his best form of the season right now, and I thought he had a fantastic game. How about you? Yeah, I thought so too. And I, I don't think we should overlook, beyond the impact it had on PEA himself, the impact it has on the club, the fans, the squad morale, the who we are as a club to have a guy who's golden boot winner uh, sharing with his buddies over at Liverpool, which is kind of impressive. They have two of them, but hey, let's not be uh, jealous here. Um, because, you know, in a season in which everything's kind of begun to slide backwards and there's plenty to question about quality and blah, 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 you know, we have in a difficult season, a golden boot winner who's arguably one of, well, certainly one of the best strikers in the league and in, in the mm-hmm. debate for best strikers. So, um, and we're off to Baku with a golden boot winner. Um, so if you were making a calculation from the club standpoint, it's not just about, oh, let's keep him fit. Uh, you you got to have some good mojo behind you. And I think it, it provided a lot on that side of things. I think he's been superb. I think, in particular, the partnership with Lacazette and him. And maybe that's why he's being superb, although we didn't see much of Lack in this game. It wasn't necessarily, uh, well, PEA had lots of chances. Um, maybe that was a little bit to do with an end-of-season game rather than chance creation or whatever. But uh, partly the most exciting thing about PEA's best form of the season is the fact that Lacazette's been a part of it, especially recently, and he's really zeroing in, and that partnership's going to be key in Baku, so I think it's all good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Clive, he's he's a really special player that I just think is, has been super misunderstood for l- large stretches of this season, and you get to the end of the season, and boom, he's tied for the golden boot. Um Misses stick in people's minds. I mean, even in a game where he scored a brace, played brilliantly, and and gets himself level for the golden boot, a lot of the talk after the game was the sitter he missed, you know, to to win the golden boot outright. Um, Do you think Arsenal fans have appropriately adapted their understanding of Aubameyang's skill set to really be able to evaluate him? I mean, this is a player who just gets an extraordinary number of very high-quality chances 
and misses some of them. Um, are are we are we maybe not fully appreciating how fortunate we are to have a superstar striker who can win a Golden Boot in a season where Arsenal is basically taking the fewest shots they've taken in twenty years? <laughs> I think uh, some of this sensitivity is is your own, maybe, Elliot. <laughs> let, think, let, uh, let me let uh, me rephrase the question. <laughs> Um, can you just acknowledge that Lacazette is no Aubameyang and I have been right from the start? How about that? Can we just put it that <laughs> I way? Think, I think uh, on your timeline, because you love the player, you made it a bit sensitive. Yeah. I, I think I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to work out. We've got two good forwards. Yeah, uh, he's, taken, he's taken a bit of, you know, for me, I, I just think it, I think they uh, on occasion can play on their own when they're in tip-top form. Each, either of them, but they just look better together, and, and I think they're forcing the manager to to reappraise his best tactical system. He just realised, well, I've got these two, and they're like basically now bordering on world class, if not world class already, and um, they stand up to anything else in the Premiership. The way they play, the way they work, the way they gel emotionally and on the pitch, um, I think they are slowly but surely trans to becoming the cultural leaders on the pitch for the team. I think the fans look to them. I think they sing their names the loudest. I think they are becoming the new culture as we move away from um, the Erzon and Ramsey t- and Koscielny type culture that we had before and allied to Theo Walcott and Giroud, etc. That's been the um, the previous sort of leaders on the pitch with obviously Alexis in there as well. And now we're moving to this new phase. And at the moment, these two are the ones that are most ready. We've got a couple of other younger's, younger ones not quite ready. And we've got some older players in departure lounge. Right. So so they they own it at the moment and they are showing it in everything they do. And they are forcing us to accept them as a pair. They're forcing the manager to accept them as a pair. And if we keep doing what we did in the last few games, then especially in Europe and none of us have any complaints about that, you know, none of us at all. So I, I think the guy is very, very good. Yes, he misses chances, but so does every other striker. But we as fans tend to mm. look at the last thing a player does, the output, the last pass, the last cross, um, the last shot. You have a definite recency bias with that. And I think you have to look at the overall player performance and influence. And when you look at that, his influence it's really gone up in the last few weeks. And, um, yeah, we missed him. We had that signers problem. That was critical. And I think um, critical for top four in particular. But, hey, here we are, and he's in top shape. Yeah, you know what? I didn't even really think of that. But, gosh, things could have been very different. Um, I mean, Clyde, before I go into Tim, just real quick, do, help me. <laughs> I guess that's really what this podcast is about. It's basically just therapy for me. Um, it's hard. I, I look at it, and I... I see us win this game, and I look at the table, and it just feels like a huge missed opportunity. Um, does it feel that way to you? I mean, is it is it a huge, huge missed opportunity? Yeah, well, I, I just tweeted out Crystal Bloody Palace. I think I got about four million replies. What about Brighton people... and Bloody Hove, Bloody Albion? Well, <laughs> this is it, right? So I just tweeted out. To me, Crystal Palace was the one, right? And, I th- and that was the one game which I expected us to do something in. Um, then everyone came back and said Brighton. They said the Bamiyang's penalty miss, and they they went for a whole list of issues which are important to them. And I think, wow, okay. When it comes down to it, during the season, there are going to be multiple missed opportunities. But 
this one does feel a bit painful at the moment, and we all are hopeful that the 29th will fix this. But if it doesn't, all those issues are going to become massive. They're going to really grow in our minds, right? So, again, I said a long time ago, if I could pick a route from a fan perspective to qualify for Champions League, i choose Europa League all day long. Mm. However... There's a hell of a lot of risk associated to that. We're playing a you know a Chelsea team which are not they're not a charity, right? They're not gonna give us nothing. So um so yeah, we've got we got a problem coming up. We've got a problem coming up and we've got to overcome it. But hey look, here's what it is. We know we messed up. We know we've messed up massively. We know we have mentality issues. I'm I'm no doubt we'll talk a lot about this in the summer, about how we develop this squad, how we develop personnel and what issues we're trying to fix for the next season, I think we really have to focus on delivering under pressure. Yeah. And that's key for us. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to win the games that don't matter. We've proven that over the years. Tim, uh, well, before I, I turn it over to you, I want to just read out a 7 a.m. kickoff stat just to put in perspective what Aubameyang and Lacazette have meant to this team. Aubameyang scored or assisted 27 Premier League goals and 10 Europa League goals, 37 total goals in all con- in all competitions, or, well, <clears throat> not all competitions, the league in Europe. Um Lock is at 22 scored or assisted in the league, seven scored or assisted in Europe, 29. So 37 and 29 goal contributions in the league in Europe from our two strikers. I mean, you can say that it wasn't great squad building to dump 100 million pounds on two strikers in the span of two windows, and I wouldn't disagree with you. But you'd also Mm. say you'd be hard-pressed to spend that money on better output than what we've gotten, and good Lord, where would we be without them? Tim, I, I think we have an issue here in that, I want to draw conclusions from this game, but it's hard to know whether you should draw conclusions from a game that matters so little to both teams and where you don't know how seriously they're taking it. The conclusion I want to draw is this. This is not by any means a great lineup. Mavropanos wasn't very good. Licksteiner is obviously garbage. You've got Elneny and Ganduzi in midfield. But like, now, it's listed as a 4-2-3-1. To me, it felt like a 4-3-3. I love the way it looked. I love the way Aubameyang looks as a center forward with two wide players on either side. Awobi had... Arguably the worst first half you can imagine from a player. Came back and had a phenomenal second half. Um, I just love seeing us with three in midfield, Tim. I can't help it. It feels like it. It it is the way a big club needs to play against smaller sides. So I'm curious, is it fair to draw any conclusions from what we did in this game? And if so, what conclusions can you draw? Yeah, I, I think that's quite a fair conclusion, actually. And you look at um, some of the pieces that came out. So... Like you say, Olneny and Genduzi. This is, um, I suppose, uh, as much if if there was any consternation possible over this game, really, the the real consternation was, oh God, it's Olneny and Genduzi again. Um, but I think you're right; it was more of a midfield three, and actually they both looked better because um, effectively Olneny was just the one kind of sitting, doing that like half centre back, half central midfielder thing mm-hmm. that he does. Um, and he wasn't really asked to do an awful lot more than that. He wasn't like asked to be the create like any kind of creative force. Um, and I thought he did that quite well. And yeah, it just leaves Genduzi to just like buzz around. Which, Shuttle around. Um, he was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I think suits him. Um, I think. I think kind of a lot of the difficulty for a lot of uh, people in in evaluating Genduzi is we ca- we can't pin down what he is. And it's a bit like, is he a deep lying? Is is he is he a number eight? Is he a number six? Is he a number four? I've seen all these um, like arguments about whether he's a defensive midfielder, and people saying, oh no, of course he's not. But then it's like, oh look at his stats. He doesn't have, 
you know, a single goal contribution this season. And, and I think the thing is, in truth, at the moment, he's not any of those things. And, and I think that's kind of fine. Um, I'm quite happy for him to shuffle around and, you know, kind of get involved as and as and where he wants, because he's quite a high involvement player as well. And I, I personally, I, I quite like that. I think he's better like that than when there's like a very definite two and um, we can play that very definite two. Well, I think we kind of have to play that very definite two when Jacker plays because we all know what he's going to do. He's going to sit in front of the defence and he's there to distribute, but he can't run. So he has to have someone next to him. We've seen the cost of not playing anyone next to him. Um, so we sit someone next to him. But then that makes their role a little bit not that well defined, I don't think, because, you know, if you're Genduzi there, what do you do? Do you shuffle around still? Do you go left to right? Do you have to, you know, you kind of have to get out of Xhaka's way a little bit. And I, I think that's a little bit complicated. And, you know, if you're Torreira, it's the same deal. It's a bit like, right, I'm I'm shuffling around around you. But it's almost like, you know, Jacques has become like the sun in, in the midfield. And if you fly too close to him, um, you know, the, the old Icarus thing. And, and actually, sometimes when you have a player that fixed, um, it, it can get in the way a little bit, depending on who else you have around him. And I do think at times Genduzi and Torreira have looked slightly unsure of their roles next to Xhaka because his role is so fixed. Um, and, I, and I actually really like this. I thought it was Elneny's best game in ages. Um, it was Genduzi's best game in ages. Um, and I think you're right. I, th- I thought Iwobi was was excellent in the second half, and it just like it just looked like it had a little bit more definition, a little bit more structure. Um, because I think the thing is, when you have super structured players, and it's the same when you have a really really fixed number nine, and actually neither of our number nines are like that. They they both kind of move around in different areas. When you have a really fixed player like that, so it it robs you of a bit of fluidity um basically so yeah i i i liked it and look it's it's the way that all the kind of bigger clubs play and I, i'm yeah. sure it's what emery will try and transition towards yeah i, I totally agree with that and I, I think there's a couple things to be um taken in context here first of all the game didn't mean anything second of all burnley mm-hmm. always sit deep you're gonna have possession they do concede shots they try to suppress good chances but exchange that for lesser chances but we had 17 shots. This is a team that averages 11 shots away. Um, mm. I thought the distances were what looked better. when, yeah. Especially when we played smaller teams in the back three away. And it's Shaq and Ganduzi, And there's no one to stitch it together. And it winds up being an Ozil or someone either dropping deep to try to collect. Yeah. And there's no connection. The Willick-Ganduzi thing, we sort of stretched vertically across the pitch much more naturally. Um, yeah. And while the game was more open, and I'm not saying we were like defensively super solid. I just like the way our attack progressed up the pitch in a more natural yeah. way. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think the, the the crucial word you used there was connection. Um and again I so I I, I spoke to the Arsenal women manager Joe Montemoro uh, last week like quite in depth about his kind of tactical philosophy Champion as it were. Arsenal women, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um and you know, it, it was quite an interesting conversation. It made me think of Emery a lot because when Joe first came in, he fixed the starting lineup. And then after that, now he makes lots of tweaks, but he kind of said the core principles are always the same. 
Um, they've got a core there. They know that if they just do the basics, they'll get a result. But we add two or three things in every game. But it's important for them to believe in the core. But the other thing he said that was very interesting was my only rule with how we set up is that there are never two players in a straight line when we have the ball. There always has to be like a connection. There always has to be a pass available. And that means I don't want anyone standing next to each other when we've got the ball so that we can progress it up the pitch. And I really thought about that a lot watching this game because like you say, I thought we did that much better. Yeah, that's a really, really good insight. And I, co- I totally agree with that. So Paul, I mean, I I think that we can start to get into some of the individual contributions. We don't have to spend forever on this match. But you know, for me, Obviously, I was looking to see how a player like Willick performs because I think we are going to have an issue of some midfield availability next season with Ramsey going and maybe wanting to play a three more often. And while we may target that in the market, it's always interesting to think about who could fill that role that's in the squad. Maitland-Niles would obviously be a potential candidate, although he's going to have to start the season at right back anyway. So what did you think of Willick's performance and the the possibility that he could be ready to take a, a growing role in the center of our midfield next season? Uh, yeah, I thought he was great. Uh, you know, asterisk on the game and everything, but it's not a performance out of context. He's been great for the under 23s by all accounts. And the, the four minute videos I see, he always seems to, uh, to, uh, come to the fore in those. Um, when he's th- the little things he's done for us in Europa league or in the, the, uh, the, the CC cup, um, he's l- looked a different player this year, like confidence has come to him and he's really starting to express himself and he sees himself as more. I mean, it's interesting. He's the, of the three, he's the one who's pushed forward um, and is playing that progressive, uh, aggressive role up front pressing. I mean, he's very often the guy closest to Aubameyang and so he's, he's got a significant role to play there. Um, and he does it very nicely. And so, uh, I, so I, I guess what you take out of it with all the usual caveats on all the young players who, who didn't come through in the end, who were close but no cigar, is he certainly looks like he's a candidate with a good preseason uh, coming up here that he should be even more part of the squad. Ramsey needs we need a player of some substance to replace Rams in. It won't be a like for like, cause he's kind of a one-off. He's, he's, he's his own enigma as we've known over the years. So you're not looking for a Ramsey, but you're certainly looking to bring a, uh, a force in midfield in to supplement. Uh, if we keep Chaka and, and get Doozy and Torreira, we've seen that's not enough yet, unless we do some magic in terms of how we play or, how we set up. We need somebody else. I think Willock's job is that is to come in and compete against all those guys. It's not like he won't get used if he's ready. Um, so hopefully next year is a, a year he, he steps up and works out which one of those guys he jobs he wants. And that could still be two or three years off, but I thought he was, he was really good and he's just got a presence about him and he's the Willock of the three Willocks. I think we had all three at one stage, but he's the Willock that looks like he'll make it. Um, so he just needs to keep going. But he seems to, he, he, as I remembered him a year or two ago, he was very loose with the ball and loose touches and stuff. And now he's just just a much more confident, complete young player. But, I mean, he's still really young. So 
physically looks pretty Indeed. strong to me. He has an eye for goal. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he had a couple shots in this game. He wasn't super active, only 13 of 15 passing, but like I thought he got into some good positions and, and helped stitch things together. I, you know, the, the problem is people project so much about young players like Mavropanos. Everybody back in January was thinking he could be the savior. I think people have much more realistic expectations for him now. I have people. Yeah, John Gooner. Yeah, that guy. Um, yeah, Matt is a, a huge fan. I think he just was kind of hoping, projecting. I think there might be some Greek connection there. Uh, but, you know, you look at, at people like t- come to me on Twitter as we talk on Twitter a lot about, you know, what's going to happen in the midfield going forward. And people are like, oh, Emil Smith Rowe could come in and be a starter. And it's like, these are people that have played basically no first team minutes that were just projecting to now be the answer in a position. And while they could be at some point, we've seen what a massive step up that is in quality. And, you know, it's hard to know who will make it. We've seen Willick a little bit, and I think he's impressed for the most part. Can he make a more regular step into the first team? I think that's it's a big ask, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I think about to be twenty years old in August. Yeah, I mean he's he's Ganduzi's age, you know, and and Ganduzi is sort of a unicorn in terms of the amount of minutes he played at his age. Uh, Clive, you know, a player that divides opinion within me is uh, Alex Awobi. I thought this was a very okay. Alex Awobi game because I thought he was absolute hot garbage in the first half. And in the second half, he was arguably our best player. Um, he has the physical strength to hold the ball up. I thought a lot of Leno's out balls went to Awobi and they stick. And it's so impressive how he can put his back into a player and hold the ball. He had a lot of uh, good moves where he was able to beat guys down the wing. And in the first half, he was giving the ball away left, right, and center, making crosses out in a touch and generally not getting it right. In the second half, he had an eye for a pass. He had one really clever ball between the center back and the full back into the channel or into the penalty area that uh, Aubameyang just didn't get on the end of that was a really good pass. I mean, he is a bit of an enigma. As we talk about, start to think about the summer and the needs, I think wide forward is a need that most people expect us to look at. So what's your take on on Awobi's future at the club and, and the kind of season he's had? Yeah, he, he is a complex topic, right? He so, sure is. He's an enigma wrapped uh, in a conundrum, wrapped in a mystery. He really is. And whatever whatever I say right now can be argued, and that's that's part of the problem, because what is he? You know, what, is, is he a wide forward? Because if he's a wide forward, he's not Sterling, so we slag him for that. Uh, is he a number 10? Well, if he's, he's, he's not Ozil, so we slag him for that. Some people say he should play deeper. He's played deeper on a couple of occasions, done really well, but doesn't get the opportunity to do it very often. So he played wide left in a 4-2-3-1 primarily, like he did in this game. I sometimes think he plays too far left. I think he he needs to play on the interior a little bit more. And um and something that Tim mentioned a few pods ago, which I've been thinking about a lot since, is um is playing that middle role when we have two strikers that player in behind. And I would really like to see him in that role. I think he's becoming quite easily read on his right foot off that left hand touch line. Yeah. I think he's becoming there's a muscle memory that he's not developing. He's doing the same things. He's he's getting it, he's striding forward, he's shuffling in, and he's looking for a pass. He's either gonna go on the outside low cross or on the inside a little reverse pass. He doesn't take enough shots. So he's his game is not developing really so we all know what he's going to do and if we all know what he's going to do the other teams know what he's going to do that role in behind two strikers he could potentially do that he's got the power to receive it back to goal and when he's running at you down the center of the pitch he's now got the ability to go both ways so he becomes a problem he becomes a problem there but he hasn't got the confidence to have an outside of the box shot yet unless he has no time to think about it he's not selfish enough he doesn't quite 
have the personality to say, I'm not passing to you, I'm going to roof this from here. He's got the ability, but having the ability and not having the personality to extract that ability is two different things. So he is a player. He is not a problem for Arsenal. We have 30-year-old high-wage problems at this club that are not homegrown, which are far bigger than, than this lad. I do feel, though, we have to decide what we're gonna, what he's going to be. Is he going to be, with Maitland-Niles, the James Milners of this squad? Or are we going to fix him to a position and say, we're now going to judge you here, and we're going to play you here, and when you can't play here, you won't play? Now, I'm of the opinion that this manager likes uh, Swiss Army knives, and we have one in Iwobi, and I think we can develop him more in that way, and we can do the same with Maitland-Niles. But I, I do think... Um, He's, he's he's doing fine. I think with him, it's all in the head. Don't be a player that's happy to make it to Arsenal's first team. Be a player that wants to influence Arsenal's first team. Really influence it on a consistent basis and not when you've just been dropped for a few weeks. Get in there, stay in there and dominate and not let anyone take your shirt off. And that's what I will be saying to him. Um, but at the moment, he's been in and out and he seems happy with that, which I don't like. I was at the game the other week and I was watching him at halftime with all the other substitutes. and He looked too happy to be on the bench to me. And that would annoy me, you know. I don't be happy being on the bench. Is it, is it okay if I'm happy that he's on the bench? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it sort of things you spot, and then, and I'm be thinking if if he's my own son, I'll be all I'll be giving him a, a good doing on that one. Don't be so happy. Make sure you let everyone know you're not you want to play. You know, be make sure you play. Don't be happy not playing. And when you get an opportunity to play, make sure you can't be ignored. Yeah. Can I just um, add to that very quickly? I, I, I would love I that if you would, yes. <laughs> I think that's quite interesting because you know what I really think turned Iwobi's performance when Scott Loughton put that tackle on him and should have been sent off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he booted um, him. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, got, you know, and he got angry at him, didn't he? Angry, yeah. Hey. I've... I've not seen that before from him. And then, you know, he got angry and he got angry. Like, justifiably, it was an awful tackle that should have been a red card. And he got angry with the referee. And then the next time the ball came to Loughton, he just body-checked him um, off the pitch. And then uh, there was just a little moment between them where they'd obviously, you know, been giving it the verbals. And it won't be just like he did the Hulk pose because um, it just like knocked him off the ball and you look at Iwobi and you think you could knock a lot of people off the ball mate and uh, and I thought I thought his put and I don't know if it influenced it really or whether that's just like narrative but it did seem to me that he played much better when when he got a bit of a kick well, and he wanted to make a point ask uh, ask and Hector Bell started with an Iwobi nutmeg which I quite like yeah. ask ask Hector Bellerin if getting fired up to play a certain player can influence yeah. him. I mean look at him against uh, Marcus Alonso every time he goes up against Chelsea he's like yeah. a personal vendetta for the time he elbowed him in the head um, but it is, it is Iwobi's issue he needs to really apply himself based on what he actually is he's not a youth player anymore he's 22 23 he's got a body of a god start laying it on people Start moving people about. That start was advice I took in my board. 20s, by the way, and it really helped me. I had the body <laughs> of a god, and I just need to start laying it on people. And yeah, really Lay changed my on life. People, yeah. move them, yeah. put them into the stands, put them in the advertising. But he move does. Them about. He does. So, right? all right. So, so let me ask you this. Let me let me give Tim a shot at this just real quick. Tim, so, all right. He is tremendously physically strong. He drops in the midfield to receive the ball off the goalkeeper. He's kind of playing that Sanya role that we had when Sanya would be the out ball mm. for the keeper for a while there. He can beat one guy. He's not particularly quick. He's not particularly good with the final ball, but it's hard to take it off him 
he can hold it up and he can get past a first player. I mean, it just seems overly simplistic, but like, should we be waiting for this guy to develop a final ball he's never really consistently shown he can have, or should we be putting him in a position in the squad that he can excel at with the traits he's already demonstrating? Yeah, that's a really good question. I like I, I'm you. not entirely um, convinced about the uh, about the end product thing. I'm not entirely sure it will ever quite be that. Like I don't see him all of a sudden becoming like a 15 goal and assist player. Yeah, it's never happened. Um, never. I, I I think they might go up a little bit, um, but not not too much. Like you know, I, I've said quite often that like end product is usually the last thing, but uh, I mean. More often than not, it doesn't come at all. Um, it's very hard. But, That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we're talking about this four three three. I I think the thing is, I think we've got a lot of players who suit perhaps the wider positions in the four three three. Um, and I, I'd quite I'd quite like to see a Wobi perhaps on the left side of a four three three. Um, in certain games, I'd, I'd really like to see what he could do in that position because that's, you know, like Clive said, we we don't really know what he is. And in that position, you're kind of you're not a number eight, you're not a number eleven. Like your your role's not that defined, and it also it kind of frees you from this. I must do this. I must do that. Because when I watch Iwobi play, I think he plays well. I think he plays well most of the time. What he doesn't have is the end product. That's the frustrating part. I, I think his performances are, are generally good and he gives us something. But mm-hmm. I, I, I would quite like to see him on the left of that that three. And, um, you know, that that's the kind of position where Pogba really made, made his name at Juventus. And uh, I'm not comparing Iwobi and Pogba per se, but Pogba's another player who I, who I think, you know, what maybe a, a much higher level has that what is he is he a six is he an eight and actually at Juventus they kind of not hid him but they kind of just said okay just go off onto the left so you're not really picked up and it's it's the half space isn't it basically mm-hmm. um that wide midfield role in a 4-3-3 so uh, if if we were to go to that formation I'd be really interested to see what he could do there because I think he'd have a lot of qualities and he wouldn't he wouldn't be under pressure for huge defensive contribution and he wouldn't be under pressure for huge end product either so um, if we if we're talking about his development, that's that's probably a position um, I I could see him being quite good in. Yeah, I agree. Look, I mean, his his goals, expected goals, and shots per ninety are all sub fifty percentile in the league, playing for a top six team. Um, his shots have declined every one of the last three seasons. Now, admittedly, the whole team's shots declined, you know, per game shots uh, this season. He's been three goals every season for the last three seasons: three assists, five assists, six assists. Not not terrible, not incredible for a guy starting a lot in a wide forward position. If you look at his XG buildup, XG chain, which are more sort of midfieldish type stats, he's 85, 80, 90 percentile in some of those over the last three years. So, you know, I, again, I don't want to write off that he could ever have end product. I just think that you reach a point where you say giving him 1,974 minutes as a wide forward to get three goals and six assists, you have to shit or get off the pot at some point. You can't give 2,000 wide forward minutes to a player with those statistics um, for a team that has aspirations beyond where we are right now. Uh, Clive, uh, not, not Clive, sorry, Paul, real quick. Uh, why don't you chime in and give us a final word on a Wilby so we can move on? Look, the, uh, I haven't always seen him as a midfield player 
but it feels like he's hit a bit of a ceiling in the position that he's at. And the major issue I have, major issue I have, is he seems pretty predictable for any team who sets up to face him. The one thing that playing on the left of midfield would do for him is when he does pop up in a more attacking position, the the other team won't be set for an Awobi attack. Um, and I just think it'll give him a lot more. It may make him more dangerous as an attacking force if he's not a full-time attacker than if he's kind of in that defined, prescribed role that the other side is waiting for him. It's pretty easy to neutralize uh, Wobi in two games out of three if a team sets up for it. And so I think the the wide midfielder role um, will will really give him options where he's popping up in lots of different kinds of, of positions. And we should remember he got that. He was a guy who assisted off the Monreal ball uh, into Abamyang for this, the second goal today. And that's kind of a popping up from midfield kind of role. So good on him. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, look, Clive brought up, he has that's, the body. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, that's a really good point what Paul's made there. And just to add yeah. to it a little bit, I think, what he's saying there really is, if he plays in as a third midfielder rather than a third forward, he's picking up the ball in broken play. He becomes a transitional player. When he receives the ball as a third forward, we expect we expect Sterling Sane-type skills. One-on-one, everything's calm. It's you versus them. And maybe that's not him. Maybe he finds that high pressure. But in broken play, can you imagine his threat striding through the midfield? You know, bringing it to forwards, his connection ability. He could be something else. I think we've got to explore it because if we want to raise our standards, the numbers that you no doubt know, Elliot, are telling us maybe he's not quite top four level in that wide forward role. But as a, as a third midfielder, he could be very interesting. Yeah, you know, the one thing also, and I think this is why fans get on his case a little bit, he gets into some really good positions. He... He always needs the extra touch or the extra dribble or the extra moment. He he is not a, a first-touch player. You know what I mean? And so the ball sort of slows down when it comes to him. Um, and we definitely need players that speed up play. We do not have enough one-touch footballers in our team right now. Players that can get the ball and distribute it, you know, one touch on the turn, off it goes, or, you know, burst straight ahead in a straight line. Awobi is not a straight line player. You know, cut it inside, cut it inside, cut it back outside. Little stutter step, little head faint, drop the shoulder. I mean... Everything t- seems to take a little extra time when he gets there. And I think especially when you have a, a center forward like Aubameyang, where everything is based on timing and runs, that can be really frustrating. So I think that's part of the frustration fans have. But look, you said it. He does have the body of a god. And I think when you have a player as a body of, the god, of a god, he's someone that you want to see in enclosed lingerie, maybe. I don't know. Does your partner have the body of a god? Even if they don't. I'm sure you'd love to see them in enclosed lingerie. And we know just how to help you with that. We're going to take a break. We're going to tell you about the best damn lingerie you can have sent right to your home without the embarrassment of having to shop for it in a department store or anything like that. So we'll take a break. We'll talk about lingerie. We'll come back and wrap up the season after this. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month club, only better, because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift 
from the enclosed, and the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month, you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back, and now that that's sorted out, well, Tim, season's over. Um, Let's do this. I want to give each of you a chance to do this, but... As far as the league season goes, maybe you can give me your top two or three sort of enduring takeaways. You know, not not a whole like laundry list of things, but just just quick thirty thousand foot view top takeaways from this season in terms of what we where we are as a club right now in the league. Yeah, we're we're about where I th- so I think we finished roughly where our kind of. A- ability and so so i think we've got the fourth or fifth best squad in the premier league and i i I think i predicted fifth at the beginning of the season um and i i think that's about where we are of context of collapsing um and losing third or fourth um has to be taken into consideration but it's been really interesting actually and and not interested so like the football hasn't been that entertaining, but it's it's been interesting just because it's been different. Um, and I was all for that. I, I've enjoyed this season. Like some of it's been quite tough still, which I was totally expecting. But I've enjoyed this season infinitely more than I enjoyed the two that preceded it, um, both of which were possibly my two least favourite seasons following Arsenal because of the the, the clear kind of drop off and the clear decline and the really badly spent money um and you know a, a manager i liked outstaying his welcome quite frankly and and the kind of resentment that caused so i i've i've massively preferred this season to the last couple i i think um you know it's it's been a bit of a mixed season um there are some things we've done well and some things we haven't um, I think generally the summer signings that we made, most of them worked out. Um, you know, you can you can argue about Licksteiner, but look, he was brought us back up, um, and I don't really think we were expecting to get um, more than we got out of him. To be to be quite honest, it was probably just a bit unfortunate that Bellerin got such a bad injury. Um, we brought him to play in the Europa League group stage games in the Carabao Cup, and that's that's largely what he did until Bellerin's injury. But um, in Maitland Niles, we we probably landed on our feet a little bit there so I, th- I think in that respect um you know it's been a slightly more enjoyable season there's been a little bit of change of travel we we spent money fairly well um i think although the, the way we conducted january um gives me some concerns going forward with the kind of power brokers that are there now and crucially the one that isn't there um so yeah it's it's been it's been a, like a really mixed season, a really curious, um, completely evolving, you know, evolving week to week, different formations, different lineups, which it's all been different, some good different and some bad different. But um, I I was really ready for different. And I think I think 
most of us were so um i i'm you know i'm cautiously optimistic about the kind of direction of travel i, I think we're in that little group where we can finish anywhere between third and six um this year it was fifth next year it might be third might be sixth again depending on what our competitors do around us um so I, i'm you know i'm i i think i got about what i expected in the end um but the journey was 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 a mystery to me and proved to be very different which you know which is an improvement of sorts yeah it there's a lot there it's a lot to unpack i think it's going to take time and unfortunately Mm. i think there's going to be a lot of post-hoc analysis because if we lose the europa league final i think a lot of people will go back and say this season was a calamity and if we win the europa league final people will be in a more charitable mood and say there were good things in this season and ultimately was a success um Mm. i think the truth as often does lies somewhere wherever i say it is um but uh Paul, let me ask you this. It is true that we absolutely fucked up the end of our season in a way that is heartbreaking because really this should have been a day where we secured third place instead of played for nothing to finish in fifth, uh, in part hilariously because United lost to Cardiff and they are a disaster. Um, But you can't get into a position where this should have been an easy third place finish without being in position to have it be an easy third place finish. When you look back on this season, will you remember more the good things we did to get into position leading to that Palace game? Or do you think that the season will ultimately be defined for you by the way we shit the bed at the end? Uh, So when they've done studies of people going to to the dentist, the final amount of pain is the amount of pain they remember. So it's actually better not to stop a painful procedure suddenly it's better to kind of reduce their pain by about 50% because that's kind of the pain they register. We will remember the shitting the bed more strongly than any other part of the season. Is it fair? The, no, it's not because everybody else shit the bed. We just, we just, we just did a bigger we shit. We had more shit in us. <laughs> we just had a bigger yeah. dinner and then, you know, it came out on the bed. Um, this is all yeah. very, very and disgusting. I, Please change think- analogies. And I think the, uh, but I, I was wearing some really nice lingerie when I did it. Um, I, I think the, no. <laughs> I think the that final was hopefully game from those season. bastards at the disclosed that you mentioned last episode. Yeah. <laughs> Driving their sales. Oh God. Um, so like, I think may, maybe it's, it's not something to, I should distract myself with, but I think there's been a lot of BS about the final game of the season. You know, it, look, the final game of the sh- season shows blah, blah, blah. And I don't think the final game of the season showed anything even for our competitors. As Clive says, I think the turning point was Crystal Palace because at that stage we pretty much had it in our a- hands. And the stuff that happened after that, even even Brighton Hove Albion, yeah, that would have put us right back in the mixer. Um, but your competitors can respond too, so... Uh, Crystal Palace was the turning point for me. Stuff that happened earlier in the season, Obama Yang missing the peno against Spurs, I get that. But again, we were well capable, as we've shown, we were well capable of blowing any advantage from that period back there. I do think it was heartening that like the 22-game run or whatever it was, I never found that convincing because the performances weren't there. But it talked to a certain stability in the squad and a certain hanging in there-ness, but also plenty of luck and plenty of weak fixtures. It was the phase when Ramsey was there 
uh, Ramsey came back and Ozil was being reintegrated, where you start to, we all started to think, hang on, this was what we were hoping for. It took a little while to get there. Well, now it's poof, gone in a, in a jiffy. And my major take, you could say it's all down to Ramsey. Maybe it is. I'm not a smart enough football analyst to say. Hard agree. One yeah, player. agreed. Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bitch. Um, <laughs> whereas I tend to lean on the, uh, the main takeaway I have from this season is football is complicated. I haven't heard one explanation of why we weren't good enough or why we were good when we were good. Uh, that makes me feel comfortable. Obviously, you can say, well, we need better personnel and we need blah, blah, blah. Well, we're, you know, we're going to struggle to get much better personnel than we had this year. We're losing Ramsey. We don't have loads of money unless I'm misreading things. I don't uh, think you're going to struggle to get better personnel in central defense. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Well, I think we are because you got to buy them, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, like if all we had, so we lost holding to an injury, but like if we had a, let's say a and other player who isn't Mustafi and isn't Mavropanos. I don't think they have to be Virgil van Dyke. We're a lot better just with that. Like if holding stays fit, we're better, you know, but yeah, but I mean, holding had his travails too, before settled down. But I mean, while I'm not, I wouldn't fully disagree with you. I just don't think it's a magic pill. We'll bring in a, a better, more center backish center back. And we'll be wondering why our defense isn't fixed because it's a lot more than one. Okay. You know, we have when we had Socrates and Kishelny, we're like, oh yeah, we got it made. Didn't quite turn out that way though, did it? We were still fucking leaking goals against teams we shouldn't have. Football's complicated, and and it's a process. And you know, this is just one more season that convinced me there are no easy answers. It's really all. Look at what Spurs does with very very fucking average players. Um, and it took Pochettino a while to get it going. And, you know, he was in the English league a little while before he got to Spurs. Um, so it's a process. And, but then you don't know how long do you give a manager? Well, he's getting another season. But how long does it take for a manager to click and for the teams to get get the message and to get the spacings? And then you change some personnel, but we haven't got a lot of budget. Um, I've got lots of questions for... Uh, and undecided as to whether things get better next year. There'll be some changes. We should get better, but uh, I, it's a really tough fucking job yeah, coaching right. a team in the Premier League when you're when you're around the num- number four, number five team, but you've a lot less budget than everybody but Spurs. And can I add, like, really, really quickly yeah, on the, you yeah. know, this kind of area of the Premier League, third to six, and there's been this kind of because of the recency biases, like, oh, they're all they're all shit, they're all rubbish. And uh, I heard Michael Cox um, on another football podcast last week, kind of uh, doing quite a good defence actually of them, saying, well, actually, if you look in Europe at the moment, Man United, the only English team who went out to a European team, so these guys have been beating everybody, and actually they're the ones who are still in Europe and still contending with European campaigns, which has probably contributed to their league form going down the Swanee a bit, and they're all finishing like on 70-plus points, which you know, obviously is... Um, knocked into the shade by what Liverpool and Man City have done, but that's that's still to have like four Premier League teams who are, um, I think, Man U were in like the high sixties and the rest, you know, in the seventies. Like that, that's actually that actually means they're all of a very high level. And if you compare them to three to six in La Liga um, and Serie A, um, 
there's there's not really much comparison so um yeah we're, we're in england we're perhaps a bit of a crossroads but in europe ironically having been out the champions league for a couple of years we're actually operating at quite a high level which is why we're in a european final yeah yeah I, I think it's a fair point i mean look we hate chelsea and we hate chelsea and we hate tottenham and we hate tottenham we hate manchester united and all that stuff but like chelsea tottenham arsenal manchester united it's four teams for two spots and None of them are great teams. They're all flawed, but they're all very, very good teams. They really are. Yeah. I mean, three of the four are in European finals, as you pointed out. Um, I think the thing for me that is a big takeaway from this season is just looking at the amount of goals we conceded and the expected goals we conceded in particular, just an avalanche of expected goals against. And I, I think what you have to look at is you have to say, okay, here's the reality. Okay, we, we conceded a mountain of goals, but we didn't play particularly buccaneering, front-footed football. And maybe what Emery will learn from this season, when you look at Manchester City, who concedes by far the fewest chances in the league, they don't do it by just having the best defenders, although they really do have the best everything because of the money they spend. But they do it through tremendous amounts of possession and an immense amount of pressure put on the opposition in the final third in the attacking half. And that the way you protect your defense when you're a big club and get three points week in, week out when you're a big club. Liverpool lost once. They drew seven times. City lost four times. All right? Chelsea only lost eight. City drew twice. So the way you do this is you go win games. And the way you go win games is you rack up 95 goals scored on 93 XG, which is what City did. And and again, you do that by spending a billion pounds. I get it. But you do it by pressing, being front-footed, dominating possession, putting eight guys in the attacking half against smaller teams and believing that they cannot resist, that that they're... irresistible force can you know your their immovable object can be moved by your irresistible force or something like that let me ask you a really complex question clive because you are the great thinker of the group i think i speak on behalf of all of us when i say that um no well okay i definitely don't speak on behalf of the uh wizardry and and intellect of paul uh tim do you do you want to weigh in on that the clive's great thinker of the group also disagree um no comment no comment okay all right clive i think that you are a great thinker the other podcast members not as convinced but putting that to (laughs) one side um the question i want to ask you is about sort of our status in the league right now liverpool and city are clearly on another level right now and they probably will be for a few more seasons it sort of looks like that's the case and you look at the gap in points i mean from third to second is 25 points it's a massive gap But if you were to look at all these teams, let's assume for a second that Tottenham lose the Champions League final because dear fucking God, okay? So let's assume that for a second. Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, pardon me, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, United. Which club do you think is actually in the worst situation? Right? I mean, Arsenal fans complain a lot. We cry a lot. We moan a lot. We think our club is really poorly run and we have reason to think all of those things. Is it possible though that those other three clubs are in as bad or worse situations than we are, and we just don't notice it because we're not them? Yeah, I, I look at them a lot, uh, particularly Spurs. And uh, I think organizationally Spurs have not changed that much. They have now got their own single point of failure in, in Pochettino. He's been the one that's been the player developer. I mean, their situation this year, I'll give an example, they lose Winks and they lose um, Dembele. You're thinking, okay, I didn't rate Harry Wings, but at least he can pass the ball in midfield. Dyer's injured. You're thinking, what can they do here? They're in trouble. They find a joke of a player, their record signing in in Sissoko, and they turn him into a centre midfielder by not 
actually playing the ball through midfield, playing second ball football and creating a midfield that becomes a running race. And guess what he can do? He can run. Suddenly, he's our most influential player of the year player. And I think that's very smart coaching how you develop away from your weaknesses. So Pochettino has become so crucial to them as Wenger was many, many years ago to Arsenal. So that model needs to be looked at. So that could be broken in literally in a couple of weeks because he could easily walk away. Oh, yeah, he will. Um, Manchester United have no football organisation. They have money men in charge of the football side. Their revenues are like double everyone else's, so they can afford to throw away tens of millions. But even their fans are looking around and thinking, this is rubbish. Our best players are overpaid, more worried about goal bonuses than actually playing football. So they have a problem organisationally. They have a problem squad-wise. They don't have a problem cash-wise. But they do have an ownership which is taking cash out of that club and borrowing against that club. So they are teetering. And they have this inc- noisy neighbour across the street that has better run, more as much money, many more trophies, the best manager in the world. And they, if they rebuild their squad at centre forward and centre midfield next year and maybe add a left back, then we're all in trouble. Right? Mm-hmm. So that just shuts the door completely. Chelsea... I think Chelsea have lucked to that position massively. If we had their European draw, we would have come third. I think managing Napoli and managing Valencia, that's what the manager tried to do. And that's where, it's, that's where it went wrong. The Everton game, the Watford game, the Palace game was all around those tougher European games. Well, Chelsea had a real buy in their rounds and they could afford to focus on the league to get just enough points to pip us. I think that was a critical issue. So I think Chelsea is a bit of a mirage, and hopefully on the 29th we actually show that. I think if they, the crucial moment for Chelsea, this is how league seasons are defined on fine lines, they were losing 1-0 to Cardiff. They were about to lose that game. Two massive refereeing decisions cost Cardiff that those three points. The Chelsea fans were calling for Sari's head. A 1-0 defeat turns into a 2-1 victory in the last five minutes. Those three points, critical. They could have lost their manager and it all could have gone to pot. And that's how fine the line is. So from an Arsenal perspective, we have, we're a little bit of a false dawn type club. We have the structure in place. Then we lost a couple of key kegs. So now we're not sure if we have got a structure in place. We have a half structure in place with new people coming. We don't really know what our new sole owner represents. So we've got a good guess. We don't know level investment for next year. We do know that the manager had a problem with defence and attack and the club decided to back him with an attacking midfielder. So we missed the opportunity to to backfill the fact we had two season-ending injuries in defence and one in attack. So that was a crucial moment. So who's making the decisions there? So at the moment with Arsenal, we are caught between cultures. We're caught between the Wenger culture and we're caught between this new culture that's not quite defined yet. And that has been epitomised in the dealings with Ozil this season. I think the manager tried to manage him and then he realised he didn't have any more quality in his squad. He had to go back to him. And then we've now introduced a bit of the old Arsenal towards the end of the season. And now we're sort of caught between saying what he was trying to achieve versus this is what I have to achieve. I have to get us to a point to create a platform for me to build trust, to get revenue so I can take this team forward. I think we're going to see the real Emery and the real Arsenal next season, but I'm not sure what that looks like. But I tell you what we will know 
we will know what it looks like and we can then opine on it. So to go back to your original question, I think we are slightly ahead of Manchester United and slightly ahead of Chelsea. And I think Tottenham are at the top of the crest at the moment. Their 30 year olds are no longer signing contracts for five grand a week extra. They are waiting. So what's going to happen to Aldevarad? Vatonga's getting old. Ericsson's looking out the window. Danny Rose is getting a bit older. Trippe's dropped off a cliff. Dyer looks like a wardrobe that can't move. They've got problems there. They need revenue to rebuild that squad. They've lucked their way to the final with pure character and fight, and, and good luck to them in that. I hope that we, all I hope is two teams in red win those European tournaments, which we all hope for. And I think they're going to reach their ceiling very, very quickly. And this is why Pochettino could be leaving. There's a rebuild there, a mini rebuild, and he knows he needs funds to do it. No one's going to let Tottenham steal their players for cheap anymore because they're Champions League finalists with 100 million coming from just reaching that alone. So now Tottenham are going to have to pay and they're not going to be able to sell as high as they used to. So their model's going to be challenged significantly going forward. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. So it's a window for us. Can we walk through it? How well, are we wait, walk Let me just stop it? you. I'm not so I, sure. I don't know that we want our players walking through windows. Is there a door for us? I would prefer if yeah. we walk through the door. Okay. But he's trying to say there's a, there's a moment there <laughs> I'm for us. I'm just being a dick. Uh, what, it's all I know. It's all I can do. <laughs> there's, a mo- there's, there's a moment. There's, a moment there's an opportunity, yes. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, we all want to walk through it, but we're not sure how we're going to do it. Are we no. going to do that with young, young intelligent players? Is that intelligent? Are we going to go young? Are we going to go mid? Are we going to go big? Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. Right? We don't know. Look, I, I mean... <laughs> I'll level with you. Sometimes you look at your club too closely so you think you're the only club that sucks, and sometimes you look at your club too closely so you think you're the only club that knows what's going on. I mean, you look at Manchester United, they look like the biggest dumpster fire of all of them. Manchester United is one of the biggest footballing brands in the world. They have one of the biggest stadiums in the world. They have the most money of any team in the world apart from, you know, oil-backed teams. They're the ones that could most easily turn it around. They could drop a billion pounds this summer and be title winners next season if they just got the right coach. I mean, Woodward and Solskjaer are basically the only thing keeping them from being good. Ironically, if you're going to trade places with anyone, you trade places with them. Their path back is easiest. Chelsea have a transfer ban. They're going to lose Hazard, and they have an owner who can't even come in the country anymore. Spurs have to pay off a stadium. Granted, they've got some money, but their owner doesn't want to spend. They're a smaller brand. Their best players are leaving, and Harry Kane probably will never play twenty more than 20 games in a season again because his ankles are made of spaghetti. Thank God for that. And then... You know, you you look at us, and I mean, we don't have a technical director. We we fired our scout and promoted a guy who's been there a decade. You know, we we have a coach that we're not sure how we feel about. We're trying to recover from twenty years of having the same manager. Our owner probably couldn't tell you the name of the stadium we play in. Um, you know, I mean, it's just I don't know what to make of it. I I think that you've got. Very lucky with United being shit right now. And the one thing I know for sure is we better do something soon because that sleeping giant will eventually wake up. They will eventually spend their way to relevance, stumble onto a good manager and fire Woodward, and they'll be good again. Chelsea and Spurs, I could see them going downhill from here. So, you know, can we consolidate a place in the top four? Well, it starts by winning the Europa League. Uh, Tim, before we say goodbye, I want to give you a crack at this. I mean, where do you see that hierarchy right now? I mean, I think these are four teams that all have flaws as at the club mm-hmm. level fundamental flaws do you see us as being at the back of that pack at the front i mean where are we in terms of the sort of good but flawed clubs vying for those positions um maybe somewhere in the middle i i think we have the opportunity i think you know chelsea are going to have a transfer ban and they're going to lose their best player um you know 
gone through very well what's happening with with Chelsea and United. United also have an opportunity because they've got more money than we have, even though that I agree with Clive, they're probably slightly behind in that we tried to put a structure in place and it, it didn't quite work and we've got to build another one, whereas I think United are maybe a year behind on that, but lots of money helps. Um, what they have is um, a not particularly good or experienced manager and they're trapped with him because if Ed Woodward sacks him now, um, he'll probably lose his job himself because if you're the Glazers, you're going to say, hang on, you went to great lengths to convince us this is the guy and six weeks later you've changed your mind. That's, you know, Ed Woodward's job might be on the line if, if he does that. So they might be stuck with Solskjaer for a little while. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think that we have the opportunity, but a lot of it is contingent on what we do next. When we get that technical director in and that head of recruitment and do they work together? I, you know, I've said many times I'm suspicious about names. Um, I, I think it's all about the chemistry um, that you get behind the scenes. And if we can get that, I do think we've got an opportunity. And And look, by the way, as well as looking at our competitors, even looking at uh, Man City and Chelsea, uh, sorry, Man City and Liverpool, both, you know, three, four years into a project, brilliant, brilliant, you know, top class managers. They're, they're both, they're both going to suffer a little bit when they lose those managers. And I'm not saying that time's coming like this summer or even next summer, but it is going to happen. Um, and when it does, they're by definition, going to have to replace them with someone inferior because they're probably the two best around so if Arsenal are, are sensible and ambitious they could say all right Man City and Liverpool that's several lev levels above us at the moment but the playing field might even in two to three years so um, it, it's all very contingent on what we do next I, I do think we have um, we have a big opportunity there um, and and it will just depend on how things come together a little bit um, behind the scenes. And um, yeah, so I, I, I'm not sure it, I'd say we're particularly at the front of that pack, but um, we're, I think we're a year into a project. We're moving along a little bit um, and, the, and the next step is just so crucial for us. Yeah, you know, it's going to sound like hyperbole, but from May 29th to June 1st could be the four most important days in the next mm. 10 years for Arsenal Football Club. Because think about this for a second. Let's say we win the Europa League final, we get a European Cup, and we get back into the Champions League. Okay? And let's say Spurs lose. Please, fucking God. Um, Spurs go into the summer pretty downtrodden. Their manager maybe leaves. Some of their good players don't resign. Um, you know, they... They take a little bit of a hit. And yeah, they're in the Champions League. And yeah, they're kind of doing okay. And they have this new stadium. But like, they they are still Spurs. And we are in, back in the Champions League. And we can attract players with the prestige of that. And we can use that as a platform to build on. Now, let's say it goes the opposite way. And we're back in the Europa League next season. And we end the season losing that game. And, and the season, as we talked about earlier, winds up looking like a bit of a calamity. And Spurs go on and do the thing that I'm not going to say they do. And they get to say that about their club going forward. And they get to hold that out as a reason to be at their club and recruit. They suddenly take the mantle of being a big club with a big history and going into a big stadium and going forward, have a real platform to build on. And we are stuck back in the Europa League trying to claw our way back into that Champions League bracket to attract players. I think this is a sliding doors moment for the club. 
I think that it might be hyperbole and I might be overstating it, but those are the kinds of swings that can be multi-season swings to recover from. Um, Paul, I'll let you have a final word on this. I mean, do you think that that window of four days is as important to the future of our club as I've made it out to be or that I'm doing the thing I do where I just get hysterical? Yes, one or the other. Um, <laughs> it certainly could. It certainly could be. I mean, it's all to play. And, uh, you know, the other factor, uh, I know we all have it in our minds, but right behind the top six are a bunch of clubs who made life difficult for certainly the teams three to six. So this is, Everton are going to keep spending money. Other clubs, uh, weirdly, will probably have more to spend than Arsenal going to next year because of our financial situation. So teams like Wolves, Watford, Leicester, etc., who have proven to be significant obstacles um, are very potentially going to spend more money than us and be asked for less money when they're buying players than we will be um, and maybe have more tradable assets. So um, I think you're right that we could spiral. Well, you can't really spiral up from where we are, but we could get a toehold into the third best team in the rankings. We could drift, but we could certainly drift down. That's why... You know, when we've had conversations around the manager, I do actually think things can get significantly worse and that you can get lost uh, in the the Netherlands if you get things wrong right now. So um, if we can win this Europa League and those horrible, nasty, scummy guys go belly up in the final, um, then it uh, could be quite a turnaround in terms of morale, I actually think that the real issue with the January window was that the ownership didn't want to piss away any more money at that particular moment with that particular backroom lineup when we were getting rid of our uh, our head recruiter, when we didn't have a, uh, a DOF, after um, Gazidis had got them to spend significant monies on players that in hindsight and on situations that in hindsight did not fix our problem. And I can imagine the crankies saying, look, you can have more money when you work out how to spend it. Raul is a relationships guy. He's not a, a, a Sven Mislintat stand-in. He's not even necessarily really a finance guy. He's not really CEO. I or or someone should, saying, that should be at the club or someone that has any qualification to do what he's doing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. No, no, I think he's probably key to the direction of the club, but in ways that we don't really think about all around his relationships within UEFA and the super, uh, the, the potential Super League and just relationships in general. He's, he's the right guy to have in the mix, but we're missing two key people, a recruitment guy and a DOF. And I suspect a cranky said, Listen, you can have money in the summer if you get your shit together and get the right people together. I'm not giving you money unless you can spend it with confidence. So, um, you know, winning the Europa League puts us in a position where the crankies may open up the purse strings far more uh, and, and double down on the extra revenues we get. And then you've got a level of confidence going into the summer and we get the, the key signings in terms of the backroom staff. We can push forward. If not, so I, I do agree with you. We could significantly go in one direction or the other, depending on the Europa League 
and a couple of other things. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to wrap it up. Um, I want to have one argument with Clive before we do. So we're going to have an argument real quick, Clive, just you and me. Um, uh, we are going to do a whole season review. So like best game, best goal, best player, worst player, worst game, worst goal. You know, all, all those things, you know, things need to improve, things that, that were great. Uh, letter grade for Emery's performance. We're going to do all of that. Then we'll do a transfer look ahead. So that's all coming up. This was sort of a, a good little uh, po- a punctuation mark on the end of the season. Or a bad one if you hated it. Either way. Uh, but Clyde, before we say goodbye, I just want to argue with you about one last thing. Rumors popping up. A little bit of chatter as we get into transfer season here of uh, Wilfred Zaha being top of our list. You really like that move. I think it would be uh, a really bad decision. So why don't you give me, please, 60 <laughs> seconds of why you like it. I'll give you my rebuttal and we'll say goodbye. Man crush. Uh, I, I like the player. I, I think he would excite the fans. I also think we've got to stop being snobs about buying from other premiership clubs. You know, we'd happily spend the same money on Nicolas Pepe and none of us seen him play live. I'd spend twice as much um, on Nicolas Pepe, just FYI. Yeah, and I just think sometimes we get seduced by that, whereas we, other teams, a la Liverpool, buy people that are already played in the league, and guess what? They hit the ground running. I think Sahar is a little bit old at 27 for that sort of money, but why does it have to be that sort of at, money? He's 26 until he's 27. Yeah, we need to negotiate. We need to negotiate that, that price down. Um, I like him because... As a Danny Welbeck replacement, he can play wide both sides. He can play in the front two, and he can also be play behind the front two, which I think could be his best position as he develops as he gets older. If we're going to spend money, let's make sure we get people who can do more than one job and play at a pace and a power and intensity and technique that belongs at a top six club. And that's what I think we need to be looking at. And if it's not him, it's a player like that to perform that third striker, second, third midfielder, sorry, third forward or a second forward role. And I think also if we have another striker, it it doesn't stop Eddie and Ketia because then you develop two front two partnerships. You can mix and match and Eddie will get more minutes because he can't carry the team on his own, but he could play with one of the other three strikers we have at the club. That means he could actually stay at the club and develop within our walls. Yeah, and look, I don't think Zaha is a bad player. I think he is probably an upper mid-table kind of player. This is a guy whose best ever season is this season with 10 goals. Okay, 10 goals and whatever it is, five or six assists. And he's going to be 27 next season, and you're going to pay 50 million pounds to get him, and you're going to pay him 150,000 to 200,000 pounds a week. And then... Three seasons into that contract or two seasons, you're either renegotiating it or selling him for a huge cut rate deal because he's turning 30. So, you know, I think that is a concern. You look at a Nicholas Pepe, who's in his early 20s, just had a 20-goal, 11-assist season on 20 expected goals and 11 expected assists. Zaha had six expected goals this season. Now, I realize it's at Palace, so I take him with a grain of salt. He also takes about two shots a game. Pepe takes over three shots a game. So, like... For me, and before you say League One is a farmer's league, okay, well, tell me about the Eredivisie. Is that no, a I, 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 I like I don't both. mean you. I'm not saying you. I mean people yeah. listening right yeah. now are like, oh, I, League I like, I like both. I like both the players. This question came out about Sahar today, and I like him. And I think we need... You mean Pepe? I like them both. I like them both. The discussion came out about Sahar today, and I think sometimes we're snobs about buying sure. from the club. I'm, I'm, you know, we, need stop, we need to stop this. I like the Not player. Up front, but actually, in defense as well, there are multiple fullbacks in the championship that I that I think Arsenal could do a lot worse than having to look at. And we there are players yes. in, you know, we need to start thinking more broadly. I've always felt we've been a bit of a closed shop 
internally within our own within our own country and i think we need to change that and and get people moving in and out of our club rather than going in from abroad and out to abroad where we just lose money because the market is not there for us right sure. so so i think the how we recruit is going to be oh, I, it's a whole new podcast elliot but yeah yeah I think we need to make the ground this year become far less toxic, as Tim alluded to earlier on. And a player like that, or a player like Riyad Mahrez, for example, I know he's not available, but a player like that would do a lot to excite people in in the stands. That's what it's all about, right? People enjoy themselves when they're watching the game. Yeah, and by the way, look, I mean, you look at Sadio Mane, who went from Southampton to Liverpool, you know, and he was a guy who was a, you know, a, 10-goal, 11-goal, 6-assist kind of guy, and you've seen the player he's become. He was much younger then, too. It's not that I don't like Zaha, and and we can wrap up here. I I think my point is, um, if we're going to get a guy whose output is not clearly elite, and with Zaha, I don't know that it's clear that he's elite, then we should be buying him pre-prime, because if we spend 50 million pounds on a going-on 27-year-old Zaha, we're going to be in the same boat with him that we are with an Ozone, a Mkhitaryan, and an Aubameyang, and we already know all those problems. We're not going to win the title. You you know what it is, Clive? We're not going to win the title next season, and we're not going to win the title the season after that. I'd like our acquisitions this year to be designed to help this club take the intermediate steps to get to the bigger step. And so buying a guy who, over the next two to three seasons, will be done for us and have no sell-on value... I, I think is Zaha's the player you'd buy if you're like we're we're one wide forward away from being a title contender. I'm not sure he's the player you buy when you're like we're kind of a mess. Anyway, l- l- let's leave it there because we're gonna do transfers down the road and we're gonna do all kinds of stuff like that. Squad building. We're gonna do a season summary. I just had to get that out there because it's been on Twitter quite a bit and and I thought that it was an interesting point and just wanted to get sort of divergent opinions there. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Tim, uh, before you say goodbye, I just want to say, I'm sorry to cut you out of the transfer stuff. I know that is really your bread and butter, <laughs> and we will, we will maybe we'll just do a solo Tim transfer podcast just for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll, we'll see. We'll talk to you later. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for transfer. <laughs> I know. Teams, hey. <laughs> Every, everybody's sucker. got their specialty. That's what we love about this podcast. Tim's specialty is a reasoned analysis that doesn't go into speculation. So thanks, Tim. We'll talk to you soon. Pleasure. Paul's is obviously uh, um, ribbled, ana- ribbled analogies. Yes, smut. There you go. Thanks, Paul. Paul's on Twitter. Uh, pausing in my pants. Woo-hoo. All right. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives five-star review. Write nasty things about all of us. We all deserve it. Um, or about the manager, about players. Just write nasty things. The internet is about taking out your anger on strangers. So we hope you have a fun time doing that. Uh, and, yeah, look, there's a lot. There's, there's going to be outgoings. We don't know who those are going to be. There's going to be some incomings. We do know one incoming uh, will be my new child that'll be coming next season. So we'll look forward to that uh, as I am expecting the birth of my second child uh, sometime during next season. Ever the Optimist. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Ever the Optimist. How do you find the time for all these podcasts? <laughs> well, well, underwear. let's be clear. I traveled 21 days in April. When I got back from that trip, my wife told me she was pregnant. So, so you do the math. Um, we have a very attractive UPS delivery man. In any event, um, so yeah. So many jokes that are just inappropriate right We'll now. do them all there. <laughs> our squad is growing. That's all I'll say. In any event, we love you guys. Thank you so much for, for listening. And, and those of you on Patreon, we have some stuff coming up this week for you that I think you'll really like. Those of you who aren't, totally understand. We'll have a live YouTube show coming up with Scott. So lots of good stuff ahead. The season is over, but the Europa League awaits. We'll do stuff in advance of that as well. We love you, and we will talk to you most certainly before, but also after Arsenal 10, Chelsea nil.